Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to the We Podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah Menares. I believe that we all need a space to speak our authentic truth, as well as a space to hear the truths of real and vulnerable people so that we can better understand that we are not alone. Hearing the experiences of others encourages us to step into the light in our own lives. It is through owning our stories and learning to speak our truth that we are able to grow and rise above the challenges we face and step into the full power of all we were created to be. You will hear many topics discussed in this space with people from all over the world. We hope that you feel welcomed into a community of growth and that this space will invite you to uncover the absolute greatness that is already inside of you. Oh, and don't forget, check out all the We Podcast episodes as well as the We Spot blog over at thewespot.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey there, it's me. You're listening to episode number 87, the profound impact of our actions on others and finding the courage to heal deep trauma. In this episode, I get to talk with Brittany Lamb. Brittany is the founder of Think 5020, a spot dedicated to utilizing your past experiences to build a strong future. Through investing in her own personal development and dedicating time to learning more about how the brain works, Brittany aims to share her insights, experiences, and lessons with others. Her passion and purpose is to help others learn from their past to have the best future possible. Brittany is a single mom to a nine-year-old boy, Landon. She has her master's degree in healthcare administration, but has left the healthcare field to pursue her writing and speaking career. She is a victim impact panel speaker for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, where she utilizes her past experience as a victim in a drunk driving crash to help others realize the dangers of drinking and driving. Brittany also speaks at schools on anti-bullying, encouraging teens to be themselves, and realize how their actions have an effect on others. Her dream is to one day be on a stage speaking to thousands of people on her message of hope. Brittany enjoys writing and is in the process of writing her first book. Brittany's story is heartbreaking and so inspirational. She talks openly and vulnerably about her story and how someone else's actions impacted her life in a big way. Brittany's message is that we can all find the courage to heal deep trauma in our lives. She uses her experiences as an example of how this is possible. No doubt you will be so inspired by her story to learn and grow in your own life, and also to think before we act. So here we go. Here is my interview with Brittany. Welcome to this episode of the We Podcast. I am excited to have the amazing Brittany Lamb here today to have a discussion with us about some very important 
topics. I'm excited to get to know you, Brittany, and hear your story. I know you've got a lot of powerful things to talk about. And so thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really am excited to share this and just see, you know, changing the world is what I try to do. So one one story at a time. Awesome. All right. Well, let's just dive in. I mean, we connected. I usually talk about how we have connected. I think we connected through a mutual friend and it sounds like your story is one that you're, you're really working to get out. You're working on being a speaker and spreading this message. So I'm glad that you're able to do that here today. Yes, me too. Why don't we just start out with you kind of telling us, you know, what has brought you to this point today? Kind of start from the beginning. Okay. Well, my story kind of starts when I was 12. I was in a car crash. A drunk driver hit my aunt and I. My aunt just loved to take me and my siblings out and spoil us. And it was December 14th of 97. And she wanted to take me out to see a production of The Nutcracker because I was in my own production at my dance studio. So she took us out or she took me out. Um, We saw The Nutcracker in Denver, which was just absolutely gorgeous. And on our way home, I remember we were listening to Spice Girls (laughs) and we were singing at the top of our lungs because my aunt always had a rule that if you know the song in the car, you have to sing. We were just about a mile from my parents' house when a driver whose blood alcohol level was determined to be 0.087 crossed the median and struck my aunt's car head on. The road was under construction at the time, and while there should have been concrete barriers dividing the road, there were only construction cones, which the driver plowed right through. After the hit, it was silent. We were still moving, though, and it kind of felt like I was in a slow-motion action scene in a movie. Uh, When the car came to a stop, I was looking out through an empty spot where the windshield used to be. I was told my aunt died on impact. I really would like to think that that's true and she didn't suffer. Mm -hmm. I then realized that um, a firefighter was, was looking at me through the windshield and he ended up putting a blanket over me and telling me that there was going to be a lot of noise, but uh, he was going to get me out of the car. And I heard the sound of metal on metal, which I later learned were the jaws of life trying to cut me out of the car. The firefighters couldn't get me out and into the flight for life because my door was stuck, but I actually would later learn that this would save my life. So once I was out of the car, uh, I was put into the ambulance and I just remember being so angry at the paramedics for cutting off my pants and my sweater because they were my favorite. (laughs) I can just, that's kind of the last thing I remember before um, waking up in the hospital. But um, that's kind of what I remembered about the accident itself. But the crash I learned later, uh, the driver who hit us had just left the bar with two of his friends. Or once he hit the car we were in, um, we were hit by two other cars. The firefighters arrived on scene and the plan was to get me out of the car and into the flight for life because my injuries were so life-threatening. My car door wouldn't open and I was trapped. And so the decision was made to put the driver who hit us into the flight for life. Upon liftoff, something went wrong and the helicopter's blades hit power lines, uh, fell to the ground and everybody on board died. So the pilot, two nurses and the 
driver who had caused the crash all perished in that flight. And that really just led me to believe that my aunt didn't leave right away, but she was looking out for me, making sure I was going to make it. And I just know from, you know, by something that I wasn't supposed to be in that helicopter. And, you know, maybe that reason was to be here talking to everybody about my experiences and then about what I've been through since then that has led me to who I am today. So that's my initial story of, you know, what happened to me. And of course, there's a lot. I suffered a lot of injuries. I had facial reconstructive surgery. I have two plates in my face and one on top of my mouth. I broke my collarbone and my fingers and my toes. And I was only 12. So it was, um, it was really difficult. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't want to believe that my aunt was not with us anymore. So it was, um, I was just devastated. You know, I was, I was hurt inside and outside and I just felt really lost. So that was, it was tough. I was only in the hospital for 10 days. I was actually put into an induced coma, but I woke up a couple days later. And then on Christmas Eve, the doctor said that I would heal better if I was at home and he wanted me to go home. So I got to go home on Christmas Eve, which was a really good present, I know, for my parents and my brothers and sister. So I was getting a lot of special treatment. Uh, My parents were waiting on me hand and foot, and I really just hated it. I, I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't use crutches and I needed physical therapy, and I just didn't want to talk about anything. And I just retreated into myself. I really didn't want to talk about what happened. I was even brought to a therapist multiple times and I refused to talk. I really felt that my aunt died because of me, because I wanted to see the Nutcracker, because I decided to dance. And, you know, that was something that I held onto for a very, very long time was because she was with me in the, in the crash. And it was my want to go see the Nutcracker. And so I really believed that it was my fault. And, you know, now I, I've discovered through therapy that that's not my fault, but because, you know, I I met somebody and we started going, I started going to her for therapy for a different reason, but we started talking about this, about the crash. And, you know, I really realized that it wasn't my fault. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have gone to therapy back then, but I didn't. And I'm, I'm glad that I eventually got there. And, you know, it was hard because I went through so much. I went through a lot of bullying in high in middle school because the crash happened in sixth grade while the second half of sixth grade was okay because people knew what happened. Seventh and eighth grade were pretty bad. I was called many names, including Scarface. I did the best at making new friends, but I was really scared of what other people were going to think of me. I didn't want to put my trust in someone who would ultimately make fun of me. Bullying made me feel so small and that if I opened my mouth and said anything about it, that I would be made fun of for it. So it was really, really tough for me. High school was a little bit better because so many kids are trying to figure out where they fit in, but I was just so, so shy. I was painfully shy. I mean, the kind of shy that makes you look down when someone looks at you and Mm -hmm. you're scared to raise your hand in class because you're afraid of others judging you. People had judged me to my face for the past three years. So I really didn't know any different. So yeah, that was tough. And fast forwarding, you know, I did get talked to a therapist and it just 
she helped me realize so much about how I can utilize this crash to help others, how I'm in such a good place now. And it's kind of my story in a nutshell, (laughs) kind of all over the place, but that's, yeah. I have like goosebumps all over my body. Mm. That is such extreme trauma at such a young age to have to go through. And I think the the coincidence of the helicopter crash is just, I mean, that's not a coincidence that you weren't mm-hmm. in, in the helicopter. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So here's the thing. I think trauma is something that's not talked about enough. Whatever that trauma is, m- most people have experienced trauma. This is an extreme trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that you're able to come through it and talk about it and then help people is, is very inspiring. I think that it's important to talk a bit about your process there. And I know you mentioned Mm -hmm. that was a hard process. That was a a difficult road. Uh, You know, there's the self-blame, the bullying, the shame that really sounds like those were things that kept you from wanting to talk to a therapist or or work on the trauma earlier in your journey. Would mm-hmm. you say that? Sure. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, I really felt that if I talked about it, then it would become reality that, you know, I tried to push everything that had happened to me so far down in in my mind that I, you know, would hope to forget about it. I would hope that other people would forget about it. And so I didn't talk about it and I didn't want to because I was ashamed and I was, you know, I felt that I wasn't good enough because I didn't look like other people because I had scars on my face. I was embarrassed that I felt I had caused this. And so just as just being a 12 year old, it was so hard to process. And I eventually just stopped thinking about processing it. I mean, I never. I never even thought about it because I had just pushed it so far down. I didn't even allow my family to talk to me about it. My parents would ask me, you know, questions, how I'm feeling or how I'm doing, or if I wanted to talk and I would just completely ignore them. And, you know, I think that really shaped my relationship early on with my parents, which luckily it's still really good, but, you know, I feel that they kind of just overshadowed or not overshadowed, but they... I don't know. They just tried to love on me so much because they were concerned about me. And, you know, I think that just affected how I am today because, you know, they still help me if I need anything. And I think most parents would, but it's just, I don't know. It just feels different. I feel almost like I was treated special as opposed to my siblings just because of what I had been through. And sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent, but it's, you know, I just feel like that had I gone to therapy and had I processed it, I always wonder how my life would be different today. And I won't know, you know, but that's kind of why I am such an advocate for it today because, you know, any sort of trauma is, it needs to be processed in some way and you need to talk about it and, you know, your brain just can't handle it by itself. So that's why I'm, doing the work that I'm doing and just hoping to help, you know, if I help one person, then that's, that's a success for me. So 
I can so relate to something you just said. I think we're going to have to meme this. <laughs> you said, <laughs> I, I really thought if I talked about it, it would become reality. And I mm -hmm. think that is, I, I can relate to that personally in my own life, you know, with my own trauma, with decisions that I made that I was ashamed of. I think so many of us think that if we bury it down far enough, that it'll just go away. We won't have Absolutely. to. Mm -hmm. We won't have to deal with it. But unfortunately, that's not reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's always going to be there just at, you know, bubbling, just waiting to come up at some time, you know. Yeah. And it breaks my heart to hear that you went through this trauma and then on top of that, you were treated so unkindly. Mm -hmm. by the people around you. Yeah, I, it was really hard. And, you know, until I started talking about this a couple years ago, my parents didn't even know that I was bullied. I don't know if I want to say I'm lucky, but it, it was never physical. The name calling and the emotional bullying, and it was, it definitely took a toll on me. I mean, I, I really guarded myself. I didn't let people into my life. I didn't let you know, even some of my best friends know things about me. I just, and that has kind of carried on throughout my adult life. I mean, I, I don't consider myself, you know, someone who has a lot of friends. I have my good friends, but it's because I have such a hard time just letting people in. Hmm. And I, I know that it just stems from this because I don't, I know people judge me. I know that they have, I know I judge people. It's just hard because I can't, get over that speed bump of, oh, they're judging me because I have scars on my face. You know, they're judging me because I caused this car crash. And so just, I still have little thoughts like that. Even when I meet new people, you know, it's tough for me to really be myself and let myself go and just, you know, say what I want because I'm just so guarded still today. It's, mm -hmm. it's much better, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm mm -hmm. talking about it and I'm talking about things that, that I should have been talking about a while ago, but it's better today, but I still, mm -hmm. yeah, this has impacted me in so many ways for just so many years. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there is such power in, because those places that we bury down so deep, those places are very lonely. And, you know, I talk about it as like shining the light in those dark places. And I feel like the more we do that, the easier it gets and the more we can see that we're not alone, but not until we have the courage to step out and say, you know, this is really, truly what's happening. This is what I've experienced. We, we create this space for ourselves that is so lonely because we think that nobody else would understand. Nobody else could relate. You know, maybe people are going to be unkind, hurtful, hateful even. And so I think that that's just such a I sat there in my own life for a really long time. And so it sounds like you're doing the work, you're shining the light in those places. And, and a lot of that is by coming out and publicly talking about your experience. Absolutely. It, it's helped me so much. And to be honest, 
I feel more comfortable talking to people that I don't know and telling them my story as opposed to talking to people that I do know, talking to my family. You know, I haven't yet invited my parents to come see me speak yet or my brothers or sister. And, you know, I think that's because I don't want to hurt them by having them relive it through me, tell the story, because I know that they went through things too. I know that they went through heartbreak and, you know, my mom's sister died. And so that, I just don't feel like they're ready for that, but I can't make that decision for them. You know, they support me, they support the work that I'm doing, but it's like, I almost just don't want to hurt them by what I'm doing. So it's, yeah, it's tough. And, and they also went through the fear of losing you. It's just, it's hard for everyone involved and it really affected everyone. And it's hard for me to realize that, I guess. And so it's, I can get in front of a crowd of, you know, a thousand people and talk to people about my experience, but talking one-on-one or two-on-one with my family is a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there is something to be said about, I don't know, you know, people knowing us on a much deeper level. And if I can identify and relate to that for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Let's talk about, and this is another piece of, of your story that you that you talked a little bit about that I can really relate to too is kind of moving into your college years with some self-destructive behaviors, mm-hmm. um, which I also did. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want to kind of tell us about that? Yeah. You know, I, so I felt when I was in like my freshman year of college and, you know, I felt finally a sense of freedom, like, Oh, you know, none of these people know me and I can kind of do what I want and be somebody else. And I would drink a lot. Um, I would go to parties a lot and just drink to the point of not remembering things and, you know, being crazy because I felt like I was somebody else when I, when I was drinking and I was more fun and I was, you know, who I thought I should be. And you know, I, I had friends that were like my party friends and I just never felt like after all that, I mean, I never felt like I really did belong. I never made any good friends in, in college. I had a few, I've lost them since, you know, because I, I mean, I still have a drink now and then, but I don't party and I don't, I'm not crazy. And, you know, I feel like, I mean, okay, I'm much older now. I <laughs> I graduated mm-hmm. college a long time ago, but you know, it was I wasn't healthy. I was just I lived for the weekends when I could when I could go party and and just let loose. And so that wasn't really looking back, I know that it was I was very insecure. I was insecure of who I was. I didn't know who I was and I was trying to be someone that I wasn't through throughout college. You know, I, I drank a lot. I made out with random people. I, you know, had sex with people that I probably shouldn't have. And, you know, it was just, that's not who I am. Those not, those are not my values, but I just kind of gave up on those values when I was in college because I felt like I was trying to create a whole new person. And so that was, that was tough. And uh, I lost a lot of friends it's just 
because I wasn't who I was, you know, people didn't know who I really was. And looking back, I really wish that I had been myself because I'm a very smart woman. I, I should have done better in school than I did. I felt like I had a quote, easy major. And I really didn't apply myself because I was so focused on partying. So it was tough. So I met my ex-husband and I think, you know, he was just a charmer and he, he was, he's a good person. I'm, I'm not going to talk bad about him, but he wasn't right for me. (laughs) I learned 10 years later, you know, he was an alcoholic. He is getting help now, which is awesome. You know, we just didn't, we just didn't connect. We didn't, we didn't see on the same page. I wasn't letting him in to see who I was. I was so concerned about myself and feeling, you know, trying to figure myself out. And all I wanted to be was to be loved. And I wasn't really getting that from him after we got married. I think because I was so hesitant, even the day before we got married, you know, should I really do this? Should I leave? Should I not? Um, because there was some emotional abuse there. There was some, he just was a little bit controlling. And, but the thing is, is my family loved him and they only saw the charming part of him that I had seen when I first met him. And so I didn't want to disappoint. And so I ended up marrying him, even though I felt like I didn't want to, we had a baby very shortly after. And I really feel like, you know, I was so happy that we were pregnant because I needed someone to love me. You know, I needed, I wanted to love just pour all my love and all my thoughts into somebody else, into this child. And just because I wasn't feeling the love and I wasn't getting the love from, from him, um, with him. And so I was not getting the love from him. And I, you know, really feel like I was so glad that I was pregnant because I was getting love from, from my son. You know, I was pouring everything that I had into him. You know, we went through a lot of ups and a lot of downs, you know, the downs were when he was really drinking. The ups were when he was trying to be better. And as much as I wanted him to get help, I know that people can't get help unless they want to. And, you know, 10 years later, I mean, it just kind of hit a peak where I realized, and this was, I had started seeing a therapist and I had realized that I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with him, but he's not going to make me happy. You know, there was some emotional abuse and there was stuff happening that I started to realize that, okay, you know, I need to get myself out of this. I need to get Landon out of this. I just want to be in a good relationship with myself so that I can just pour myself into Landon and be the best mom that I can be. So um, I did end up leaving him and it was, was very ugly for a while. You know, he was just so, I don't know. He just didn't really believe that it was happening. I think until I finally gave him the papers. So it's just been tough. I mean, I, we're finally, you know, a few years later, we're finally in a place where, you know, we are really good co-parents and it's just, he still can't, he still doesn't talk to me on the phone. He'll only text me. He, you know, says that he hates me, but I'm a good co-parent. I've learned that I can just kind of brush that off and know that he has to deal with his issues because I'm finally, I'm happy. I'm, I know who I am. I'm a strong mother. I'm a strong woman. And I left him because of the alcoholism, because we weren't happy and because we weren't working. So it, it was a really tough 10 years. There were a lot of yelling matches and fights and 
stuff that I just wish never had happened, but it just, it did. And it's brought me to today and it's brought me to, you know, realize that I'm strong. I'm stronger than I ever thought that I was. And I'm in such a good place today. I have so much of that credited to therapy. I mean, that's just, that's kind of my, that's what it is. Therapy helped me realize so much. So, so what was that like? I mean, making that shift so that that was the major shift for you was when you started therapy. Yes. Um, I met, I was in an, uh, like a multi-level marketing saying I joined and, you know, they're really centered on women empowerment and being awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I met, I met a lot of people who were so positive all the time. And I wasn't used to that because at home it was negative all the time and I didn't have any friends. And so I wasn't going out. And, you know, when I started going to like weekly meetings and just flooded with positivity, I'm like, oh, there's, there's better things out there. There's, you know, women who are happy with their lives. What's that like? I ended up realizing that someone was a therapist that was kind of in this group. And so I started talking to her and, you know, I just started seeing her. And then we ended up doing EMDR therapy, which was kind of the point where I was changed my life. But um, Mm. before that, just regular therapy just kind of really helped me to see things on a different level. Because, you know, if you talk to your friends, they just tell you what you want to hear, but you talk to your therapist and she'll tell you, you know, the truth. And so it just really changed my life. Yeah. I am a huge fan of EMDR therapy. Can you kind of tell our listeners what that is like or or what it is from your experience and and maybe kind of why that was so pivotal for you? Yeah. So from what I understand, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessings. I sat down with my therapist and we talked just kind of about the first thing that I remember about the crash. And that's where we started because I was, you know, that's kind of where everything started. So we talked about that and then I would close my eyes and just focus on that event. And she would, I had these little buzzers in my hand and it would kind of buzz in a pattern. And she would just tell me to clear my mind and think about this one event and see kind of what, what comes to mind. So after a set amount of time, you know, she would ask me to take a deep breath and just kind of say whatever came to mind. And, and so I just kept like finding new things. And at first I was like, is this really what I'm thinking? Did this thing really happen? You know, did I really see a firefighter looking at me through the windshield? You know, did I really see my, my aunt on the steering wheel? Did I, you know, I start to realize that these are just memories that my brain has hidden away from me. And through this therapy, those networks are just opening up and helping me to deal with things and helping me to deal with events and the process. And it was pretty amazing. I just couldn't believe that this was actually something that, that happened, you know, that I really did see my, my aunt on the steering wheel. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that my, my brain hid these memories from me because they were so traumatic, you know, and I, we we did uh, maybe five or six sessions, but each session I would just learn something new and something different would come up. And so it was just mind blowing. I, you know, just Mm -hmm. how fast it worked and how, how well it worked and how it made me feel. It just made me feel very, very much okay with everything. And I was able to talk about the event without it, without crying. You know, I was, I'm able to bring things up and be okay with talking about it. And so Mm -hmm. I just, EMGR is something that I would recommend to 
anybody who's been through something. And I'm actually wanting to go back to talk more about my marriage and, you know, dive deeper into that because I, I want to kind of find out where I can learn from that, from my marriage and, and whatnot. So mm. yeah, it's great. It is. Yeah, it's awesome. And I have to say, it takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to go in and say, okay, I'm ready to deal with the things like I'm ready to, to do this work. And so I, I think it's important to, to, you know, give yourself that credit for being able to, to step out like that in, in, in a brave way. Cause it, it takes, mm-hmm. It's hard to dig in. Absolutely. And yeah. it's scary. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, I, I need to talk about this. And, you know, we just, I was at therapy for a different reason. I was, I was there for my divorce and, you know, we just kind of, she's like, well, I wonder if we start talking about this, you know? So it just took like that one little, like, oh, maybe I should talk about this, you know, that thought to kind of spark everything. And that's. Mm-hmm. that's just amazing to me that, but you're right. It was hard. It was hard to talk about it. It was, it felt unreal. It just felt like I shouldn't be talking about it, but I am very, very grateful that I did and that I started processing it. Because in the end it is so worth it. I mean, it, it's like, I'm like picturing being set free, like being released from a, a prison in a sense. Absolutely. I think that's a really good analogy. I mean, I was a kind of a prisoner of my own mind. I was holding myself back because of something that happened 22 years ago. Well, there was associated events with that, but because I didn't process that, I was holding myself back from what I'm capable of and what I want to be doing and what I feel like I, I don't want to say should be doing, but, you know, just helping others and just using what happened to me for such a greater cause. Oh, I love it. So good. All right. Well, now let's shift to what you are doing now, because I know that you have taken this learning and healing and you have started doing some big things with it. Yeah. So around the same time that I started doing EMDR, I signed up for MAD, which is Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I actually just initially signed up just to be a volunteer if they needed me. And then I got a call from someone there and, you know, they were kind of asking why I wanted to volunteer. And I told them that I had been in a drunk driving crash and, you know, they said, well, would you ever want to speak? And at first I was like, I usually black out when I get in front of a group of people. So like, I can't <laughs> remember anything, but I don't know, something just told me to do it. So I did. And I, I speak at victim impact panels. So anyone who has been convicted of a DUI in Colorado needs to go to a mad victim impact panel. So they hear people like me tell my story and how it has affected me, how it's affected my life and really how their decision could have affected someone's life in such a way. And so the point of these panels is just to make them make people more aware of their decisions and, you know, encourage them to call a cab or an Uber or something, you know, to not make the decision to drink and drive. So I've been speaking at panels for a year and a half now, and it has just been so good. I mean, just to have people help or just to help people, you know, 
kind of learn how their decision could have affected someone. And I enjoy telling my story because it's like, I've also learned so much how my actions can affect others, you know? So this man that caused this whole crash when I was 12, he, this one individual has affected my life forever. I mean, it's, you know, because of a decision that he made. And so kind of when I thought about that, like, okay, other people's decisions really affect us. I thought, where can I help people the most? How can I affect someone's life the most to tell them my story, to get them thinking? So my best friend works in a middle school and she was like, come talk to my kids. So I actually talked to an assembly of kids. Um, You know, I told my story, but I really honed in on bullying and, you know, how your actions today can affect somebody in the future. So you, you're bullying a kid today, you know, we don't know how that's going to affect them in the future. And so um, I really am also a very strong supporter of anti-bullying. I've also talked, I go to high school classrooms and I tell them my story of drinking and driving. I focus on bullying, but I also focus on mental health awareness with high schoolers. That's a time where your brain is growing so much and you're changing and your friends are changing and there's a lot of drama and you know, so I really want them to be high schoolers to be aware of their mental health and just to ask for help when needed and just mm-hmm. get that help because I wish that someone would have told me that when I was that age. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I focus my my efforts on those mad panels and speaking in schools is what I've been doing. I mean, I want to grow that in the future and and help others like different adults in different capacities, but that's where I'm at now and I'm I'm really happy. So it's really good right now. So amazing when we can take our pain and the trauma that we have experienced and turn that into helping people. It's powerful. Absolutely. It's it's so good. I mean, I, I'm very happy and I'm very happy with who I am and who I've become. And I just hope that I can, you know, help others just realize that they can be happy with themselves and who they are. And they just need to dig in a little bit and work through some things. <laughs> yeah. Do the work. Do the exactly. work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My hope is, is that we're moving into a time where that is going to be more supported than, you know, just being quiet and acting like everything's fine. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like that's the, the generation or the, the era that we're coming out of, like shut your mouth. Don't tell anybody, put a smile on your face and pretend, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I agree with that. And, you know, I also think that I kind of want to get out there that good ways to communicate with people and there's not good, you know, like just don't hide behind a computer and bully people. Don't, you know, it's just, that's the kind of stuff that bothers me and that wants to get, that I want to get out there is, you know, we have this huge, awesome tool in social media and had it been around when I was little, like my experience with bullying would have been tenfold, you know? So I just feel like the kids today that are, that are being bullied are seeing it in school. They're seeing it on the computer. They're seeing it everywhere. And I just really want to, you know, help people realize that let's just use what we can for good. Let's use social media for good. Let's use talking to people for good. And let's talk about our problems in a constructive way instead of trying to bring others down or not talking about it at all, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of my hope for the future. Yeah. So good. All right. Um, We're going to move into my questions for you. 
Okay. So I would love to know, and I know we've kind of talked about your growth, but what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? I really think that just being able to recognize that I am worthy of happiness and success. When I realized that and when I really thought about it and dug in like, okay, why am I worthy of happiness and success? It's like, well, because I'm a badass. Like Hmm. I've been through so much and, you know, I just needed somebody to tell me that. (laughs) I mean, you know, and somebody to help me realize that, Hey, you know, you're a good person. You do good things. You're worthy. And I have grown so much since I made that switch in my mind that I am worthy of, of the best that I can give myself. And also, I mean, therapy, I cannot stress enough how vital therapy has been to my growth, how being able to talk to somebody who is not going to judge me, who's not going to sugarcoat things, you know, that has been so, so vital. And, you know, also I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books and it helps me realize that other people struggle with the exact same things that I do, you know, with not, with not thinking I'm good enough or not, you know, thinking I'm, you know, fill in the blank, not thinking I'm whatever other people are dealing with the same things. And it makes me feel less alone and it makes me feel normalized. It makes me feel that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have these things in my life because other people deal with it too. You know, and I, I, I saw a quote once that was, you've survived 100% of your bad days. And that is entirely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I have, I've had some really, really bad days and I've survived 100% of them. I've come out on the other side. I'm going to have more bad days ahead of me, but I, you know, just realizing that things are going to be okay, I think is, is kind of the most vital to anybody's growth. So All right. Walking away from this podcast, what do you want to make sure that people know? I would really like people to know that your actions have a profound impact on others. The way you talk to people, the way you treat people, the way you treat your kids and your spouse, that has such an impact on on other people. So just always try to lead with grace and with kindness. I know it's not always easy, but, you know, just really try to do that. And then also what you tell yourself becomes your truth. I mean, I would always tell myself that I wasn't good enough. I would tell myself that this crash was my fault, that I didn't deserve to have a loving husband, that I didn't deserve to have anything. And that became my truth. But when I started telling myself that, oh, hey, I do deserve happiness. I do deserve success. I am a good person. That started to become my truth. And that is my truth today. So what you tell yourself, you know, you tell yourself it over and over in your head, you know, try to turn your thoughts, try to recognize when you're telling yourself something negative and turn it into something positive. You know, someone once did an exercise with me where it's like, say something bad about yourself. And then, so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a bad person. Well now turn that around and tell it to your kid. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell my son he's a bad person. It's like, well, then why would you tell it to yourself? You know? Mm -hmm. So just treating yourself with respect can can change so much in your life. Such important things for us to know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. So important. All right, Brittany, I, um, I know that people are probably want to going to want to find you, get in touch with you. So can you tell us a little bit about, I know you have a business, how can they connect with you? So I am on Facebook and Instagram. It's think 5020 all spelled out. It's actually from 
a Bible verse that says, it's Genesis 50, 20, that says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for, for good, the saving of many lives. And that just mm-hmm. has struck with me so much. And so I'm slowly starting a speaking business. I'm starting to, it's hard right now, but um, I'm yeah, also... Everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm also working on a book, but my website is think5020, all spelled out, dot com. You can just connect with me there. I would love to connect with anybody if they have a you know reason for me to come talk to them. I would love that. So yeah. I just appreciate, and I appreciate you so much for having me and willing to sit and listen and talk with me. It's just been really, really good. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on here and and talking. You have a powerful story and you have a lot of words of wisdom and and nuggets and and things that you've come through that really, truly, I think your desire to change the world, you're on your way. You're on (laughs) your way. (laughs) I know. I I know I need to be patient because things Mm -hmm. take a long time, but I day by day, I just try to work at it. <laughs> that's a, yep, I, that's the best thing that we can do for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'll have all of your links in the show notes as well. And so people can click through there more easily. Thank you so much. Thank you for being Thank here. You. Thank you for doing your work and coming out the other side. So now we can all grow from, from your experience as well. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, my friends, what an awesome interview. We absolutely believe in the power of our stories, and we are so very grateful to our guests who have the courage to speak their truth and share their heart, experiences, and light with all of us. If you want more of the WE podcast, make sure you head over to theweespot.com where you can find all of our episodes as well as the WE Spot blog. The We Spot is your go-to spot for growth, connection, authenticity, and encouragement. You can also find us on social media. Head over to the We Spot Facebook and Instagram pages and get plugged in. You can also find me, Sarah Moneras, on my personal Facebook and Instagram pages as well. If you love the We Podcast, we would be thrilled for you to rate the podcast and write us a review. We want as many people as possible to be lifted up in growth and get connected with our community. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes dropping every single week. We can't wait to see you over on social media. Thank you for being here today. It means a lot to us. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow constantly, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.